Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. All right, this is going to be a massive episode here. We promised you that we were going to talk about 20 teams tonight, and as is our want, I think we have too much detailed even to do that, but we're going to try and get through as many as we can before we go completely insane. As we mentioned uh, on the Christmas episode, those 10 teams we're not going to talk about very much, if at all, and we're going to try and catch you up on games, mostly from Saturday, that involved the 20 teams that did not play on Christmas, so we'll get to some of Sunday's action as well. So let's begin with the first game on Saturday, a little matinee and a fun one. Two great point guards matching up, Trey Young and John Morant. Atlanta takes it 2-0. I think you got to feel pretty good as Atlanta, given all their injuries, to have started 2-0 here. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they've been missing an incredible amount. Of, they're both of the centers that we expect to be in the rotation, Capella and Okongwu, have not played yet. But also, Danilo Gallinari did not play in their win over the Memphis Grizzlies. And so, yeah. If yeah, you, and sounds like a, a short-term Rondo, foot injury for, for Gallo, by the way. Yes. And so, and then Rondo and Chris Dunn are also both unavailable. Tony Snell is unavailable. We don't know exactly where he will fit in the rotation at full strength. But yeah, it was it was really a, a team effort. Uh, we'll talk plenty about Trey Young. But I also like the place that I kind of want to start was in that Memphis game. They got some really nice minutes from Kevin Herter and Nathan Knight. Nathan Knight's on a two-way. And remember that that change in the rotation because they're just missing a bunch of guys. Knight, 14 points on four or five from the field, including a couple of made threes. And then Herter, because of the kind of the shuffling of everything, Thing. He had a, a big role in the bench minutes, 21 points on 8 of 12 from the field and plus 14 in 27 minutes. And part of that was, I, I thought that Herder and the, the Hawks did a really good job in those minutes. Part of it, well, kind of because we'll talk about them in Memphis in conjunction, Memphis continued, especially in the first half, to not generate anything when John Morant was off the floor. Yeah, that was really difficult. Uh, and I think they ended up being negative eight when he was off the floor. They switched things up in the second half to put in Jonas Valanciunas with that bench group. Gorgie Jang was negative 14 in the first half, did not play in the second. So they basically just staggered Valanciunas and Brandon Clark playing Clark more at the five in the second half. Um, so it was a little bit better in the second half. I think they were like negative 14 in the first half when Ja was on the bench. And so that was pretty rough. We thought that the return of Tyus Jones could cure what ailed them from the bubble. But I think also Clark not being the same guy that he has been. Uh, he's got a slow start to the year, missed a couple of preseason games due to groin surgery. The Memphis, or not surgery, but an, an injury. The Memphis broadcast was talking about he, how he was having trouble getting his rhythm. Didn't seem to 
have his usual pop particularly on those preferred floaters that he probably shot an unsustainable percentage on he was like i think over 50 percent on floaters last year and that's a good shot for him but he nobody's going to shoot over 50 percent on floaters year after year so yeah that was a big problem and the hawks and you talked about it and their depth really was something that you were really worried about with rondo not playing either but with herder they got good minutes out of brandon goodwin and then knight i thought he was a revelation i mean for him to shoot the ball the way he did he is has no idea what he's doing he's on a two-way uh but he's really athletic too you know kind of a small ball center type uh but maybe someone who could play some four as well i thought the most amusing play involving him was he comes into the game immediately in the second half and has no idea where to stand trey young is inbounding the ball on the baseline to, you know like 10 seconds in the shot clock finally they get him lined up in the opposite corner and the play was for him to come in and actually get an alley-oop but he didn't even know the play call when the play call was for him which was kind of funny but i uh, know he's if he could shoot it like that and has pretty intriguing athleticism you know he's up top of the square on that alley-oop uh that's uh it had a, a pretty impressive series of athletic plays around the rim so yeah 14 points in nine minutes for him uh you can't complain about that if you're the hawks and the hawks also in in that game got some really good minutes from deandre hunter and hunter had a rough rookie season remember he was a little bit of an older rookie coming out of virginia and looks much improved and we wondered with a lot of these delete eight guys what was what was going to be the case he looks more confident i would say offensively and defensively the defense was like all was supposed to be the calling card for him back when he was drafted and he did a really nice job on john morant at one time and then also did some nice work on dylan brooks yeah i, I thought so yeah he was blocked Morant from behind on a drive Brooks he made him look real bad at, at times also had a beautiful pirouetting drive around Kyle Anderson is a pretty good defender for a, a left-handed spin move in a semi-transition situation so he's had a couple of real nice games now and yes he was the number four pick and probably doesn't have the upside of most number four picks but the idea of bringing him in was that he was such a good fit he even made a couple of plays in health defense as well so and just a, a little bit more playmaking than we'd seen for him just looked more comfortable looked good athletically and so good start to the season for him we'll see if he can keep it up obviously as you know last year uh, he had a set of struggles and obviously trey young would be remiss in not discussing his game uh, he did not have the three ball working as he did in that first game against the bulls it was only one out of seven but just the bullshit foul drawing is absolutely ridiculous for him and if he's gonna be rewarded for that more power to him and his matchup against Dylan Brooks was not a fair fight in terms of the foul drawing versus foul committing <laughs> that's uh the irresistible force against the movable object on that one and Dylan Brooks committed three really bad fouls on him in the fourth quarter yeah and no one could really contain trey they would at times it was job Morant was basically anybody they put and so trey young 14 free throw attempts against chicago in reduced minutes 17 free throw attempts against the grizzlies and he's a great free throw shooter so if that continues to be a part of it and it's a mix of the dark arts you know guy like kind of exaggerating contact and everything else and also trey young getting enough separation that he creates creates the possibility of some of those things happening so it's yeah. he, he's looking to me he's looking great so far at least offensively you know the defense is still what it is yeah i mean they've had two acceptable defensive games he hasn't killed sure. him now you know worth noting that jaw was guarding him for a fair amount of the time and he certainly was not guarding jaw but he just uses his threat of that great pull-up shot that great floater you know you feel like if you're guarding him you have to stay with him stay on his back because if you give him an inch of space he's gonna pull it but then he also will use as a constraint you running up his back and and use that to draw fouls as well and obviously he accentuates contact 
extremely well. And also his passing is just ridiculous. Like he does not miss guys. And at his size to be as good of a passer as he is we've talked about this how hard it is to be a great passer uh because you can't see over the defense and you just don't have as many passing angles as you do if you're a Luka Doncic size or LeBron James size or James Harden size uh you know just when guys would slip open back door uh it looked really really good and he was able to find him able to find John Collins slipping behind the defense so there's just not a lot that you can do with him and I'm very interested to see what kind of a year he has and if they do get into the playoffs how he fares as a playoff player um one other thing is kind of work as transition from atlanta to memphis i i was struck during this game and in their last preseason game against each other these teams played so many times already that i could see ja morant in some ways having a similar year in terms of like play plus reputation to what trey young did last year where he has this very nice individual season but it gets lost a little bit in the shuffle just because the grizzlies aren't quite good enough to have that sort of resonance like you and I both argued that Trey Young deserved all NBA consideration I don't know that Jaw's gonna get all the way to that but I think he's he's still on kind of on pace for a really good year but generally speaking the, the those plaudits if we're going to talk about in terms of the actual awards that generally goes to players who did it on more on successful teams yeah and Memphis needs Jaron Jackson back you know yes. Dylan Brooks is eight out of 23 three of 11 from three only 19 points zero free throw attempts as well so uh he at least he could get to the line for as much as he fouls and of course he fouled out of this one as well and Morant I think he you know certainly a very good game for him 28 points 10 to 21 he did I think they did a lot of switching and his defense he made a couple of pretty bad errors just where he would switch onto a guy and then just stop guarding him and John Collins just rolled right to the basket for a dunk on that he was guarding Kevin Herter one time and Herter just moved a little bit and got wide open for a three I guess John just sort of like after the switch was zoning up and then zoned out <laughs> frankly uh a, a, a couple yeah. of depth things we should mention for the Grizzlies sure. uh D'Anthony Melton didn't play in that game against the Hawks due to health and safety protocols and that was another reason why the the Memphis bench you know they, they were relying in the first iteration a lot on Tyus Jones to create and they I think they ran into a problem beyond Trey Young's awesomeness in the fourth quarter where the more starters you have to pull to play with the second unit defining that as whenever John Morant is sitting those guys are going to if you want them to also close those guys are going to need a rest they're also going to be a little bit tired and I thought that was part of why Memphis was a little flat late I call this the Miritich problem thinking back to you know the Keith Bogans is the play the very beginning and then sit the rest of the time Miritich was the guy who replaced him and then played the whole rest well if you have to play the entire rest of the quarter or any of these things you're not going to have enough juice for the very end of the game especially if those are physically demanding minutes and with the timeout reform that's happened sometimes those are long stretches of time without a lot of stoppages depending on bonuses and all that stuff couple more Grizz notes uh, they've struggled for spacing obviously that's uh, they just don't have enough guys to spread the floor for Ja and it also doesn't help too that Ja you can kind of still go under on him at times as well he's took seven three-point attempts and made two but he's still not really comfortable from there one thing that they can do though to open up a little more space is they'll run that 45 set that the Clippers popularized back in the 2015 playoffs where you just have the four and the five run up to half court and set basically an impenetrable screen both standing at 90 degrees so there's just no way for the guy to get through it and then you force both the opposing teams four and five man to get out on the floor and then that creates some space behind them if you have a fast point guard 
guard Chris Paul and DeAndre Jordan and Blake Griffin did that and now you know a lot of teams run it but it, it works really well when you don't have great shooting at the four and five to still create a little bit of space on the floor and uh Trey Young did get into it again with Grayson Allen after they had had an altercation in preseason he and, and claimed, in summer league when they were both rookies oh yeah yeah I'd forgotten about that so uh Grayson Allen apparently, uh, you know, kind of stuck the leg out a little bit in a late game uh, must foul situation, which Trey retweeted. And then Grayson Allen sarcastically asked him if he heard him or not. So. Oh, and another way that Memphis could inc- improve their spacing, I'm not saying he's the overall level player yet. I like Desmond Bain and the aforementioned Grayson Allen, like you don't really need his, like the playmaking part that he's shown. And Allen will be, I think, better than he has been in Memphis's first two losses. But I think just having a guy who will take those shots is a real benefit, especially with Jaron Jackson out. So maybe shifting, maybe shifting Bain a little bit and then having Grayson Allen as a secondary playmaker along with Tyus, if, and let maybe, I mean, they've been using Kyle Anderson, who's played well. They did that in the the second half. Brooks can do some of that too, but I think that might be something worth considering. Yeah, Bain showed a little, it was two or two from three. Not, hasn't been aggressive shooting the ball yet, but he is a good help defender. He's got a little more strength. So maybe that could be, will be something to look at. But again, it's just, it's so hard for rookies, even one with the experience of Bain to really be positive players right now, just how far behind they are with the system stuff. Man, it is crazy to think that I've been working with Helix Sleep since 2015. And I think that's because my story with them seems to really resonate with listeners. If you've never heard it before, that was kind of the beginning of the direct-to-consumer boom. And there was another very prominent mattress company at that time that was trying to convince you that mattresses were one-size-fits-all. They found the one formula, the one mattress that was going to work for everyone. My then-girlfriend, now-wife, and I ordered that mattress. We ended up having to return it because, hey, guess what? Not everyone is the same. And then she did some more research and found Helix Sleep. We took their sleep quiz and we found a mattress that actually worked for us and our body types. And uh, Helix offers 20 unique mattresses. Everybody sleeps differently. And Helix mattresses are designed for specific sleep positions and field preferences. Hot or cold, side sleeper, back sleeper. So take that Helix sleep quiz. Find your perfect mattress in under two minutes. And it's shipped straight to your door, free of charge. It's no risk because you really need to sleep on the mattress in your own home. You're like, well, how should I order this if I can't sleep? I'm like, yeah, you're not going to learn anything by going to the mattress store and sleeping on the mattress where do I take my shoes off? Do I leave my shoes on? But then my feet kind of hang off the bed because I don't want to put my shoes on the bed. And is it weird that I'm laying here for more than 30 seconds? You can't tell anything under those circumstances. You might as well just order it, get it sent to your house get that 100 night trial they're 10 to 15 year warranty depending on the model and there's never been a better time to try a helix sleep mattress because they are offering 20 percent off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners at helixsleep.com slash capspace easier slash capspace we talk about all the time here on the program that's helixsleep.com slash capspace this is their best offer yet i can attest to that since i've been working with them for nine years and it won't last long with helix better sleep starts now don't forget that slash capspace url to let them know that you came from us so let's jump from hawks grizzlies to 
the team Atlanta is playing in our Monday League Pass broadcast, which is extremely exciting, and yeah. that is the Detroit Pistons. The Pistons are now 0-2 after their loss to the Cavs on Saturday. And what I was the kind of the first thing that I was thinking about with the Pistons having I have watched a fair amount of both of their games so far, the loss to the loss to Minnesota and then the loss to Cleveland, is the challenge that Dwayne Casey has. And and you and I, you know, like we sometimes we talk about the coherence of the front office and and coaching and everything else. And with Dwayne Casey, Troy Weaver drafts Killian Hayes, and Killian Hayes is starting for them. But Hayes in both of those games has played fewer minutes than Derrick Rose, who was ostensibly backing him up, partially because I think Dwayne Casey wants to win games. That's how he's going to keep his job and everything else. And he knows that Killian Hayes isn't going to help with that as much. Yeah, and supposedly... uh James Edwards of The Athletic talked about this when we did the Pistons outlook that they understand that it's a rebuilding situation now. Why you sign Mason Plumley and go after Jeremy Grant is a question. And don't, there, and don't sure. resign Christian Wood, who is a better fit for that than the guys that you sign. Uh yeah, we'll we'll be talking about Christian Wood rather extensively later on, but uh looking like a bit of a mistake uh, that Detroit uh did not make a more aggressive attempt to resign him. And from what I understand, that was not uh it was not as aggressive as Houston's attempt, I guess so we'll put it that way. So, let's talk about Detroit though and Cleveland. I mean, we can kind of mix in here, but uh this is Andre Drummond's return to Detroit uh I'm sure that there was uh <laughs> no space at all in the media section because uh you know whenever a big free agent leaves Detroit they uh they gotta be real stingy with those media seats but uh Drummond I mean the Cavs end up winning this game in double overtime he plays 44 minutes I mean some of some of the just the box score lines from this game were totally insane and it was just as insane to watch them being compiled yes but so here's Drummond's line 23 points 16 rebounds five assists four steals three blocks four turnovers seven of 21 from the field over two from three nine of 14 from the line and only two fouls plus 10 in 44 minutes in double overtime and i mean that's that's just for a center to have 23 points on 28 shooting possessions in a game and then like the steals and blocks too it was just it was totally insane like it was he was doing some nice things at times like they're down eight the cleveland is with three minutes to go in regulation and Drummond started getting some deep post-ups early in possessions, getting fouled, making a reasonable amount of his free throws. And that was a, a big part of how they got back into it. They were able to hold down the Pistons in crunch time and Drummond was a, a good part of that. He was able to switch out on Blake Griffin, who was really on fire and do a decent job on him towards the end of the game. But then like anytime he faces up and attempts to drive, I mean, it's just a disaster, Danny. Like I, it, some of these turnovers are just completely insane. They are. And also consider that Drummond, you brought up the shooting from the field of seven of 21 he was i i think it's probably zero for seven i think because one of them was a heave uh, on shots outside the restricted area and that's that is kind of a part of the the drummond experience going even back to like when he was a prospect was how how willing is he to do the things that he is supposed to be doing or 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 at least only doing those things i guess that's probably the better way to put it and so some of that was taking terrible shots some of that was also just like those turnovers as you mentioned so but 
he did do a nice job defensively i mean yeah. three blocks and, and four steals you know again drummond is not like an unbelievable defensive player but compared to what the Cavs uh, have had for rim protection over the last few years well it's, and uh, one of th- one of the other ridiculous things about this game was the pistons putting up a 97 basically offensive rating in a game when blake griffin was i think was he eight of nine from three originally the pistons yes. shot 16 of 45 from three but they shot 45 percent on twos and so they so they had a sub 100 offensive rating well and they kicked the ball over the oh, gym God. for the turn of uh 22 turnovers derrick rose uh was i mean i think there were five pistons who had three or more turnovers in this game and rose had six he really struggled down the end of uh the two overtimes but yeah blake griffin he starts eight of nine from three and then i think he missed his last seven and the Cavs announcers noted it although they should also probably look at uh the power forward on their own team for this uh, as well but Blake Griffin just did not want to go inside the arc he's one of five inside the arc finished nine out of 21 but eight out of 16 for three and again deserves so much credit for the fact that he's been able to get his three-pointer this level I mean like early on they were not switching the screens involving him and just going under and he was just banging threes off the dribble or they would you know run some quick handoff sets and then he would pop back out to the three-point line and you know was absolutely on fire but you know the he already had lost explosion even in that all NBA season that he had in 2019 but now I mean he really just cannot get to the basket at all even being guarded by Kevin Love and so he's gonna have worse three-point shooting games than this and there's a lot of talk like okay maybe he could play well enough to get traded to a contender but given his defensive limitations and the fact that he's kind of just becoming you know he's a good passer and can handle the ball and can shoot it but you know that he's not really someone who's going to be able to attack one-on-one it looks like anymore Uh, i think it's going to be a hard sell to move him to a contender uh given the salary that he's at right now um one of the other challenges that the pistons faced i said they were 16 to 45 from the field from from three overall their guards were four of 14 svi one of six rose one of two right two of three and then killian hayes missed all three of his it was it was blake griffin and jeremy grant that were actually making their threes um but i i mean the the other kind of part of this coin i the first place Cavs. i mean the the cleveland we had there were a couple different parts and you i think you went over on them and i went under and that's right baby and I, I think, so one of the big parts for Cleveland has been, you know, having Drummond and JaVale McGee gives them 48 minutes of competent center play. And that also means that J.B. Bickerstaff doesn't have to go to like Nance or Love at center unless he wants to, which is useful, but also significant improvement from Darius Garland and Colin Sexton. Yeah, both of them have looked really good. And the Cavs played today, by the way, and also had a really nice win. They blew out yeah. the Sixers, uh, San Joel Embiid. Uh, but in this one, didn't watch that game, but in this one, Garland, three of three from three, 21 points, nine of 14. And I thought he did a really nice job. He He's starting to show these just flashes of really cool ball handling at times. Like, yeah some Trey Young, Steph Curry type of stuff when he's splitting pick and rolls, starting to play with a little bit more flair and the three or three from three he's coming off the pick and roll if he gets a high enough screen and he's becoming a threat now off the dribble and it's going to take a while but he's going to need to prove it for a lot longer than three games that he's a big threat there but if now you can force teams to get out on the floor guarding him and pick and roll that's going to open up a lot and there are times when Mason Plumlee had to do that and Garland was able to give him the little head fake and blow by and get to the rim and finish I mean most encouraging for Garland is to just be six of 11 on twos 
when he just was not able to generate good two-point looks for the vast majority of last year so i mean he's had uh the first game, a lot of it was in garbage time against the Hornets, but he's had two of his three best games, or probably his two best games as a pro, I would say. Also, 12 assists in this game, so that yeah. that was really impressive. Uh, Colin Sexton only had three assists, but when you have Garland out there to pass it a little bit, Drummond, when he decides to pass, could be decent. Kevin Love, they're running a little bit of stuff through him as well. You know, that's one of the things that's been such a struggle for this team. So, you know, they're, they're going to really be pretty bad on defense still. They're respectable there now now though it looks like and we'll see whether sexton and garland can get done sexton another just he's continuing to be incredibly efficient and well it helps in that in the game against the pistons sexton took 17 shots in the restricted area and five jump shots and he was 12 of 18 in the paint overall he took one one a whopping one from floater range and yeah that initial penetration was working well and it wasn't producing assists as much but it was you know getting getting his shots around the basket got a whopping one free throw in in that game but that you know but if you're getting 32 points on 23 shooting possessions you're you're totally okay with that and yeah i and i think sexton has taken he's grown a little bit on defense you know still not getting all the way there and then i was amused early in the game i was watching on the detroit feed the announcers referred to jetty osman as the Cavs knew Kyle Korver, and I was like, I, I was just like, oh god, that's hilarious. But Osman ended up shooting four of seven from three in the game yeah, after he was three, three, three of six on opening night, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, like, and he was 38% on about five per game last year, 35% on five per game the year before. So I don't think of it as, as him, you know, in that caliber, but I mean, it is something that Osman can do. And fortunately with, you know, looking like more competent play overall in the lineup, they don't need Osman to be a ton if a Coro can be a competent, you know, competent player for them, especially defensively. And then the guards are doing better than Osman playing, you know, 15 to 20 minutes a game, not as big a deal. Yeah, and we'll see what this team looks like when Kevin Porter Jr. comes back and where he's going to fit in to this small forward rotation. Maybe he'll, you know, Dante Exum played 13 minutes. Maybe Porter will take some of his minutes. Okoro actually played 42, but uh, looked more like you might have expected him to look offensively. He was only took four shots in 42 minutes and was 0 for 3. Um, but plus 16, despite failing to score. And JaVale McGee, you know, it's good It's good to see him on this team as well. Again, another guy who's at least has played competent basketball at center in his NBA career. Yeah, and I think that's a, a big help, you know, the capable stewardship. And I think about it more with point guard than anything else, but really at any position in center, you could think about it defensively, does make a huge difference. I do want to take a, a bit to talk about the game that we're going to that we're gonna do in a few hours, Hawks-Pistons. Oh yeah, for sure. Now we're going to do this every week. It works out great that we're, we record our public episode on Sundays and keep in mind, this will be the, your last chance to see us free. Uh, although we certainly encourage you to sign up for NBA league pass digital and join us there. You just click on the game on NBA.com, click on watch, click on influencer cast, and you'll get us talking throughout the game with the game right there in the window. No having to sync up or anything like on the old school NBA cast. So obviously it's going to start with how the Pistons are going to guard Trey Young and I would imagine they will do so by trying to get Mason Plumlee out on the floor where I think he's a little bit more comfortable defensively in those pick and rolls uh but I would expect Trey Young to draw a fair number of fouls 
on Plumlee. And then you really, I don't know what Detroit's going to do, especially because they like the Hawks like to bring Trey Young in for three stints and, and to go against backups. So Jaleel Okafor, they've gone with Blake Griffin at center with Dumboya at the four. They tried that after Plumlee fouled out in that Cleveland game. Um, you know, maybe what they'll do is they'll try to put Jeremy Grant on John Collins so that they can then switch stuff with Trey Young. That would probably be what I would try at first. And we'll see whether they'll try to involve Blake Griffin in these actions as well. But th- I mean, that's going to be the number one problem. And for a team like the Pistons, Trey Young is going to cause all kinds of problems. He is. And what approach the Pistons use, as you said, is going to be interesting. But I'm also going to be fascinated to see. I, I've brought this up before with Detroit. Troy Weaver put this team together. They will have some advantages against the Atlanta Hawks. Remember, the Hawks are still going to be shorthanded in terms of the front court. We don't know exactly how shorthanded as as we're recording this on Sunday. But that will be, you know, so will they put more pressure on the interior than Detroit did in their in their double overtime loss to the Cavs? Will they go after, you know, kind of try to try to get more initial penetration and draw fouls on John Collins? Collins can be prone to that. Will we see two-way player Nathan Knight do anything? Uh, so I, I'm really interested in, in what the kind of the Pistons identity is offensively. And then also something we've seen in the Hawks two games is how does Lloyd Pierce want to run the rotation? Kevin Herter did a really nice job coming off the bench, initiating offense, but if Gallinari is available, remember he was a game time scratch in the Memphis one, so maybe he will be available. Uh, on oh, there is some news actually. Uh, Clint Capella has been upgraded to probable. Oh, great. For, oh, so for then that's game. something I'm really excited to see because that will be Capella's first regular season game with the Atlanta Hawks. Yeah, his uh, it's been left Achilles soreness. Uh, that's uh, been the issue for him. So I imagine he'll warm up, and then if everything's fine, they'll uh, they'll bring him out to uh, to start. You would think, and then Gallo is questionable. So you imagine they'll probably start Capella and John. Collins and if Gallo can play he'll come off the bench yeah so I, I am very excited to see how these two teams score off and if Atlanta is going to be a playoff team in the Eastern Conference they need to handle their business and if the Pistons want to be viable then they need to win games like this too yeah then for the Hawks defensively how to deal with Derrick Rose how to deal with Blake Griffin it will be interesting you know I think Collins matching up with Griffin he's not known as the most attentive defender so getting it out on the floor having to guard him I think it could be an issue and then Derek Rose getting to the rim we'll see whether the Hawks rim protection uh, can deal with that and how much they're going to try to shrink the floor they're a young team they may not do it as well in terms of knowing the scouting report as we've seen some other teams do against the Pistons although two young teams also uh shrunk the floor against the Pistons as well because this is something that really was a problem for the Pistons in the overtime not only you know I mentioned that Derek Rose had a bunch of turnovers and part of the issue was that they had Dale and Wright and Grant and sometimes Plumlee out on the floor and while Grant shot it well in that Cleveland game Wright is just not really much of a shooter and so he's they're going to help off of him a lot generally so generating offense for the Pistons might be a struggle in this one but at least they are uh yeah both teams should be fresh nobody played uh today man I just love American Giant just an amazing clothing company I was reminded again of how much I love it when I drove from California to Montana over the all-star break and you know what it's like when you're on a long road trip and it's cold particularly when it starts off warm in the bay and then we get into some really cold areas you're like well I don't want to wear like my jacket in the car but then I get out to fill gas I'm going to be freezing but the American Giant hoodie was perfect because despite being made out of a nice 
heavy material that'll keep you warm. It's not too hot as well. So I was able to wear it in the car, not be too hot, step out of the car and still be warm enough when I was filling up gas or going into a restaurant or something that I didn't feel like I needed my jacket, even when it was cold outside. These things are amazingly durable. I proposed to my wife wearing an American Giant hoodie in the Grand Canyon almost seven years ago. I still own that same hoodie. I still wear it constantly. And American Giant has since spread out into all sorts uh, of other types of clothing like their premium slub crew tee the no bs high-rise pant the slim roughneck pant featured in giant magazine issue two every american giant piece is made in america and designed to last no exceptions and it provides year-round comfort so find a closet staple for every part of your spring days at american-giant.com and get 20 percent off your first order when you use that finger code capspace at checkout you remember we talk about capspace all the time here on the program that's 20 percent off your first order at american-giant.com don't forget that cap space code to let them know you came from us on sunday let's go to charlotte okc i mean that that another another game on saturday that featuring two two non-christmas day teams and the hornets end up losing this one though they won on sunday against the brooklyn nets in one of the stunning sunday games one of many and shea gildress alexander hit a game winner for two of his 24 points eight of 20 from from the field overall seven of 10 from the line and unfortunately uh this happened actually this happened previously but it's worth kind of talking about Cody Zeller broke his hand and so he is out at least a month per Rick Bonnell B- Bismack Biombo is starting in his place also on Sunday PJ Washington suffered what is being deemed a minor right ankle sprain so we'll have to see what his availability is moving forward but the Hornets are now one and two yeah they beat Brooklyn in a close one after this loss to OKC which I think would be considered pretty disappointing uh, but not disappointing was the fact that LaMelo Ball had a nice game after a really ugly debut which we talked about Ball was able to score 13 points came out really firing I think he was not happy with that goose egg next to his hand I want to say he had all 13 of his points in the first half but he came out with two deep threes from above the break finished two of four from three also had a, a hard drive only one assist I continue to be impressed by his activity on the defensive glass and also just a, as a help defender gapping off of his man getting into the passing lanes so I think I don't think he's going to be some huge defensive liability I think he's going to be okay there and you know, the two big questions are going to be simply, does the jump shot go in? And I think, can he get to the foul line? That's going to be a big question as well. He's not, he needs to get better at changing speeds. I was really happy to see in preseason, it was awful, but he actually busted out that 17 foot floater that we saw in the Australian league. And that looked pretty good. He was like even a step further out than Trey Young will take it from, uh, but that looked confident and, and went in. So good game for him. Uh, but Charlotte had a very odd game. They actually shot it better from three, 41% than they did from two. And it's not like the Oklahoma City Thunder is some unbelievable rim-protecting team. It's just that the Hornets are not a great team uh, attacking the basket. Lou Dort made Gordon Hayward's life absolutely miserable when they were matched up as well. And so, and Devontae Graham, Terry Rozier, I mean, both of those are guys who are really going to struggle inside the arc. Rozier, after that 42-point game with 10 threes in the first one, uh, he fell back to earth, although he did lead the team with 19 points. Uh, 
Miles Bridges, I thought, had one of the better games of his career. He looked pretty decent moving his feet. Actually, had a couple of verticality plays defensively at the rim. And then, crazily, went four of four from three. Three of three in the last minute of the game. The Hornets are down <laughs> nine. so crazy. This was totally insane. They're down nine with, like, you know, a minute three remaining. And then they come back to tie it with, like, 20 seconds left. They scored 12 points in, like, a 30-second period. Like, they T-Macked. O- Oklahoma City and although that was it, kind of rem- it reminded me a teeny bit of that crazy Bulls game from last year oh yeah yeah the Zach Levine uh 12 three-pointer although they they only got 12 points in 33 seconds not 13 but uh because they didn't get a four-point play like T-Mac did but uh and and bridges had three of those all of which were wide open the hornets were uh being gifted some pretty wide open shots by oklahoma city late but then shea gilgis alexander came down and hit a pretty sweet game winner of his own he led okc with 24 points and also worth noting though it was not in the game you and i focused on hayward 28 points six rebounds seven assists in their two-point win over the nets though that was really a four-point win where there was a a buzzer beating layup that didn't really affect the line kind of duhan-esque in a, in a respect and Miles oh man Bridges, wow yeah. we're getting the we're getting the old school references in now man and i i like i like bridges as well i think that the pit the the hornets not needing as much from him is probably a good thing overall like i don't know if he scales into being a starting caliber forward though i'm not going to foreclose that for bridges but having you know so so being a third being a third forward for at least for now i think that's i think that's fine the jump shot it's not always going to look as good as it did during the last minute of that OKC game, but I'm encouraged overall. And something that you noticed, which is a really good point, kind of tr- shifting a little bit to the Thunder, who are only 1-0 because their first game was postponed by the NBA, was a, a shift that we often see is that when a player becomes higher usage on offense, there will be downgrades in other parts of their game because they just have to use so much more of their energy to create those looks. Yeah, it really stuck out to me with Shea Gilgis-Alexander in the first quarter where he had a sequence where he went hard to the basket two times in a row, and then he was just completely exhausted and got blown by on the other end. And, you know, those after a long period of play, obviously, but Shea also really struggled on defense in that Rocket series last year, and he's just not as good at staying in front of people as you'd like. But that's not what this season's going to be about for him. It's going to be about him exploring his ceiling as an offensive player. And while he did miss a few free throws late to let the Hornets get back into it and tie it after they were up nine that game winner looked really good they actually ran at the length of the floor Mark Dignot called that out and going up against Terry Rozier Gilgis Alexander went full court and broke his ankles with a beautiful in and out dribble and then a crossover left to right and got wide open for a long two and in marked contrast to what we saw from Jason Tatum today you don't need a three-pointer when you're either down one or tied at the end of the game and so that was just one of the times when yeah absolutely go ahead and step in to 19 feet make your shot a little easier all you need is just some sort of a bucket and uh, he got it so really really nice game winner from him uh george hill was awesome in this game continued his streak of hitting every regular season three-pointer by hitting four of four in his first game yeah and he even had a chance to go one-on-one a little bit as well against the hornets so 21 points on eight of nine for hill although he also missed a late free throw that almost uh, punted the game away i'm sure sam presti once again uh yeah mike muscala 14 points he just he's just <laughs> killing him 
on these we'll look back on this game uh uh but but in any event uh we in fact will not look back on this game yeah so you know i thought it was interesting al horford only three points one out of five you know i don't it's clear that he's not going to be featured too much offensively only zero for two from three and certainly he's still a decent player and he's far better than any other bigs that they have uh, on this team and then what really killed Oklahoma City at least I thought it was going to in the first was they bring in that second unit uh and it's they go to a five-man bench group with Teo Maladon and Hamadou Diallo, Kenrick Williams, uh Alexei Pokashevsky who actually turned 19 on the day of this game and then Muscala and I mean that group is just gonna really really struggle like Maladon was negative 16, Pokashevsky was negative 13. It's a shame Pokashevsky didn't get to play a little bit more because he might have shot his number in this one (laughs) (laughs) yeah he was 0 of 6 all six of his attempts from three and like we talked about he had a few flashes in preseason I talked about that with Royce but it's going to be quite a work in progress for him really liked what I saw from Lou Dort yeah. in this game I mentioned how he really you know he's one of the best individual defenders in the league already and he's one of four from three but just the aggression with which he drives the ball and Sometimes guys are going to go vertical on him and, and make a miss. Sometimes he'll even get his own rebound off of these. But he is just such a strong, powerful driver that, especially against a team like the Hornets that doesn't have great help and, and doesn't have great rim protection, he almost doesn't need to shoot it that well. He can have his own gravity just because if you catch, you throw the ball to him and he catches it with no one in front of him, he's just going to plow his way to the rim every time. So, uh, you know, George Hill, eh, a comfortable 24 minutes, and Al Horford, a comfortable 29 minutes in this one and they end up winning anyway Darius Baisley also looked pretty good with 15 points in this he's really kind of their secondary score now in, in the in the starting lineup so good, good for OKC to get a win and have their young guys mostly powering it but they'll and they did it even only shooting 10 out of 36 from three when you consider that they were 10 out of 36 from three although they have no three-point shooters so that's not a huge shocker uh and if you take out George Hill they were uh four out of or uh, six out of 32 but and I think uh, it was just a, a much bigger blowout than it appeared because A, the Hornets made that crazy comeback late and B, the Hornets shot 41% from three and OKC shot 28%. So good solid win uh, and good win for the Hornets on a back-to-back against Brooklyn who had been killing people as well. I mean, this is, today was a crazy day. This is just going to be a crazy season. All these back-to-backs, lots of resting. I mean, we saw this ridiculous, you know, 60-point blowout from Dallas against the Clippers with no Kawhi Leonard. It's just, it's been a lot of ups and downs this season. A team that's hoping to have some ups so they can have an up-and-down season is the Chicago Bulls. They are 0-3, and early in this, I didn't watch, a, I didn't, I went intermittently, partially because it was just such a horrendous game of basketball. I I was thinking throughout that Bulls Warriors was the type of game where like even though the Bulls were 0-2 going in where I thought less of them after a win and then they lost. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, so a couple of things at the end. um, I think we'll talk more about Indy Chicago but just want to mention a couple of a couple of so. The Bulls, the Bulls had a had a lead for ba- for basically mo- most of the like that that kind of portion of the game, and Billy Donovan has both of his timeouts going into the final minute. Steph Curry gets an and one on Wendell Carter. It looked to me like a clear foul, and Billy Donovan challenges it and loses the challenge. So I mean, yeah, if you can get the points off the board, sure, that's obviously a great thing. But 
doesn't loses that timeout well well and also i mean it was it would have just been one point as well like there was no possibility of like oh it was yeah a, it there wasn't, been an there wasn't an offensive foul. foul yeah yeah that's that's fair um and so then a little bit after that the warriors tie the game bulls have the ball with the shot clock off and a tie game so there's really only one thing you have to do and while you and i lament iso ball in many forms one true merit of it is that if you have to take the shot and make sure that there is no opportunity for the other team to do it, it is pretty easy to do because you just, I mean... And they have the perfect guy to do it in Zach Levine. Yeah, and the Warriors had no one to guard him. And so instead, Zach Levine goes too early, shoots with about seven seconds left, makes the shot with about five seconds left. And so the Warriors get the ball because, and they still have a time, still have a timeout left. So they move it to inbound the ball. Now, I haven't counted it out. I think the Warriors, I think it was a five second call, but the, the refs sometimes miss that. And the Bulls were very cognizant. They're up two, very cognizant of Steph Curry shooting a three to, to end the game. And so they're, they're focused on him. And then I actually didn't think the Bulls defended Damian Lee too poorly. They dropped under on him, but it was also, it was a very tight situation. I understood it wasn't it wasn't the yeah. greatest and there was through. there was enough time for him to turn the corner and get it to exactly you, and so you're and you're you're thinking about you're thinking about the possibility of him taking it too. there's five seconds like you have time to actually do something there and damian lee instead pulls the three and wins the game so now the bulls are oh and three yeah and lee it was a nice moment for him i know we're not talking about the warriors here really but uh it was a nice moment for him just and that he did it in the way of just understanding basketball moving hard without the ball he inbounded it he was the inbounder he inbounded it got it right back and then got into that three-pointer the Warriors finally hit a few threes uh but here's another problem for the Chicago Bulls the Golden State Warriors had 17 steals in this game the Bulls had 24 turnovers including seven by Zach Levine who overall had a pretty good game with 33 points on 11 to 23 and uh, Lowry Markinen actually had his second straight efficient game, although it had an ankle issue late, and, and or I think it was like a calf issue late, and, and had yes. to leave. Uh, but you know, twenty three points on seven to thirteen was pretty good. He's shot the ball above fifty percent from three uh, in two of these games now. But going back to this game against the Pacers, like the Bulls are just getting like completely taken out of their offense by any kind of pressure at all. It's just absolutely pathetic. And you know, Patrick Williams, for example, in that Indiana game. They give up 21-0 and 23-2 runs. And it has been very rare that I've seen an NBA team look so inept offensively as they did in that 21-0 run. This is going against like the Pacers' second unit, by the way. So this is TJ McConnell. Though I, though I do love the Pacers' second unit for the record. Yeah, but not defensively. Not defensively. Yeah, I mean, it's TJ McConnell and Aaron Holiday. All right, those guys will kind of scrap a little bit on the perimeter, but you know, not going to overwhelm you with like athleticism. And then they got McDermott and Sabonis out there and Justin Holiday, and on two plays Patrick Williams just turns the ball over as the inbounder right under his own basket they're like McConnell and Holiday are pressuring up the Bulls like can't even get a guy open to run their offense they had a 12 possession stretch where they either turned it over I think on seven of their possessions and they took five really contested mid-rangers on the other one it was and again you know this is yes they're pressuring up more under Bjorkren I really like what Bjorkren is, is doing so far with this team that's now 3-0 and we'll talk about them more but I, 
I really just could not believe how bad the Bulls looked at, at this. And then they had another stretch that was exactly the same at the start of the third quarter as well, going against the starters. Miles Turner was a monster. He had another four blocks in this game after eight in the opener, forced a bunch more misses. Um, anytime DeMontis Sabonis got matched up with Larry Markadin, who in theory, you know, he's got problems with mobility, but you'd think, hey, at least we're playing a traditional seven foot four, seven footer at the four. He can match up. No, actually, they had to immediately double team anytime Sabonis got Markinen on him instead of Carter. And uh, then Sabonis was carving him up. Sabonis had 32 points in that game. And I'm sorry, I know he had 22 points, but he got like a bunch of dunks in a row during the 21 0 run when they just turned it over and he would just run down the floor and right down the lane for a dunk. Uh, it was uh it was really just like high school level of stuff for the Bulls where you know Billy Donovan said after the game that they just they had to fight through adversity better and it's not a surprise that he said that to me because they just looked they did not look like professionals out there in this game I and mean, just some of these incredible mental lapses more offensively than defensively um so they they really kind of seem to be getting into their own head so far and the Bulls 0 3 played I guess a little better against the Warriors but maybe probably not honestly considering that the Warriors weren't exactly awesome in that game either um let's talk about indiana though now three and oh um what did you think at the end of that game against the celtics it was it was wild as it seems like every celtics pacers game in indiana is i was remembering a, a game years ago when i think it was when there was a turn when there was a late turnover and the celtics got a, got a pick six and sabonis another strong performance so he had a 2010-11 triple double against the bulls 19 and 10 on sunday against the celtics and then 32 and 13 in their first game against the knicks and he basically ended the the Celtics game. Great Nate Bjorkren play call. So the Celtics have been switching a lot on Sabonis. They've been uncomfortable doing really anything else because also because he's a, a good screener. Yeah. So yeah, this was this was on like handoff actions with yes Sabonis on handoff at the elbow. Yeah. Yes. And so what they do on that last possession is instead of doing the handoff, they do a fake DHO, and so the Celtics just get a little bit discombobulated. The hesitation and reaction gives Sabonis a path to the basket, and he finishes it for what became the game-winning shot. Yeah, it was too bad for Rob Williams, who was guarding him. You know, he miscommunicated with Grant Williams on that last play. Uh, Williams had actually been awesome in the last minute. He had a block. He had a great pass to Tatum for a three that he missed that could have put him up. And then Williams got a steal on TJ Warren. He, with, he just jumped a backcourt pass. Yeah, with uh, on the inbounds after Indiana had actually taken time out to advance the ball um, up by one. And Williams knocks it away. Marcus Smart goes down for a layup after double dribbling which wasn't called smart had like some kind of weird shoulder thing that was like it was obviously like he couldn't do anything with his left hand it was really oddly uncomfortable for him but he managed to make the layup so indiana's down one and then they go to that fake dho and that's that's a toronto staple as well you can remember years ago you know jonas valanciunas faking the dho and so bjorkren comes from there and uh overall i mean any thoughts on what has changed for indiana so far under bjorkren I need to watch more to feel totally comfortable about it, but I the offense has had a more kind of a more organic flow to it that has been very good and also impressive that they beat the Celtics on Sunday without Victor Oladipo playing at all. Aaron Holiday started in his place and Bjorkman only played eight guys. 
And so to, to do that against a totally, you know, a totally competent Celtics team who, though they fall to 1-2, we're not talking about them today because they played on Christmas. And, you know, the the depth of their, they only played eight guys, but all eight of them are totally competent NBA players. McDermott, McConnell, and Justin Holiday came off the bench. And then Turner and Sabonis, Turner had another five blocks on Sunday. Yeah. No, he was, uh, sent a nice little message to the Celtics about not wanting to trade for him. And just quickly on the Celtics, you know, they are really hurting for decent perimeter players. Like I think actually they're getting, you know, they've got decent depth at the big position now, especially if, you know, Grant Williams and Robert Williams, I think those guys are okay. But, you know, Jeff Teague has turned into a pumpkin again. At least Jason, or, uh, Peyton Pritchard shot it well. But they are, uh, that $27 million trade exception might need to be turned into a player pretty soon for the one and two Celtics. They are, or, you know, maybe Romeo Langford can come back and give them something, or obviously Kemba Walker as well. So maybe they're just gonna have to ride it out and not have as good of a, of a regular season record um back to the pacers though my thoughts on bjorkrim they are trying to shoot fewer mid-rangers than in the past and they certainly succeeded in that effort on opening night against the knicks this game though boston forced them into a few more mid-rangers but they forced boston into a ton of mid-rangers of their own and you know, Boston is still going to always be a good principled defensive team. The pace is definitely higher. And particularly in that Bulls game, like just the amount of pressure that they're exerting on the perimeter, they're doing more switching. They were just flying around in a way that I they looked like the Toronto Raptors a little bit. Obviously, I'm incepted for that, knowing that Bjorkring came from toronto but yeah it was all smiles from sabonis and malcolm brogdon talking about what an awesome play call it was and how great it is to have real coaching and you know j michael had reported that brogdon was the least satisfied with nate mcmillan so it's not a surprise that brogdon would be talking up bjorkren but everything looking good so far for the pacers and looking like they can be one of the better defenses in the nba once again that was a big question like they had some shooting luck last year and they were sixth in in defense and it didn't really look like they had the personnel but certainly if miles turner is going to play like this and i mean i can't remember a start to the season in terms of blocks like this in a long time uh, looking very good Anyone who's seen our YouTube videos knows that I don't wear formal stuff all the time. So when it's time to dress up rather than dress down, I highly recommend Inochino. They were the official outfitter of my wedding. I got my tux from there. All my groomsmen got their sport jackets from there as well. I felt really good about having them be the outfitter of my wedding because all my groomsmen were going to get stuff that they could continue to wear that fit them perfectly. Because when you go somewhere else, you're not going to get something that's made for you. So why not measure yourself in 10 minutes or visit a showroom rather than feeling like you're wearing somebody else's suit that they tried and failed to tailor for you. And not only does Indochino have the suits that made them famous, but now they've got everything. Blazers, pants, women's wear, outerwear, designed and made for you. Hundreds of high quality fabrics to choose from. European wools, linen, cottons, tons of colors, tons of patterns. You can customize things like the lapel, the vents, the pockets. And you'll get a piece that is personalized for you in fit and style. Level up your game with Indochino. Go to Indochino.com. Use the code CAPSPACE. Use the CAPSPACE. We talk about all the time here on the program. You get 10% off any purchase of $399 or more. That's 10% off at Indochino. I-N-D-O-C-H-I-N-O. Indochino.com. And don't forget that CAPSPACE code to let them know that you came from us. 
Where do you want to go next, Erdang? Let's go to another 3-0 team, the Orlando Magic. Remember, they surprised Miami on the full opening night, and then they took a back-to-back against their bitter Southeast Division rivals, the Washington Wizards. <laughs> and the, I mean, so they, the Magic had a had a comeback on Saturday, 30, a 38-29 fourth quarter to win that game. And then they upped that with a 43-19 fourth quarter in their comeback win on on Sunday, and it was interesting. I didn't hear, so I was flipping between a couple games. Aaron Gordon didn't close the game on Sunday. I don't know exactly why, what what the deal, what the deal was there. Whether there was something something going on, yeah. we'll have to kind of keep an eye on that. Um, but Marco Fultz continuing to play well, doing as as Matt Moore put it, everything but shoot threes. His three still looks bad. Like it was, its arms are out in front of his body. It just it just don't it doesn't look right. Still. Fultz averaging 18 points, five and a half assists so far through these three wins and had some really big baskets late on Sunday in particular as the Wizards just totally unraveled. Yeah, and on Saturday night, Russell Westbrook, John Wall hasn't even played yet and I'm still ready to declare that that uh, Houston won that trade. We'll see how, how Wall looks. But, it, you know, I do think Westbrook really has struggled offensively and he sat out the second half of the back-to-back, but uh, he was six out of 19, 0 of four from three, did have 12 rebounds and 15 assists, or, or I'm sorry, 12 assists, 15 rebounds and 15 points. So he did have a good game after all but uh that hasn't looked amazing and then i mean this is not a great orlando magic offense by any means and they went right after thomas bryant in crunch time on saturday and i mean it was cool that they this back-to-back happened right afterwards in the same location but and it's tough to win two of those in a row on a back-to-back at home but it wasn't even like the magic are shooting a crazy amount of threes or that they're shooting a crazy percentage from three instead the orlando magic shot 37 of 38 from the foul line in this game and you know the the wizards fouled terrence ross for eight free throws and he was four of seven from three at 26 points to lead the team and Fultz has been over 20 points each game uh he still can't get to the line at all either that's the other thing that he's not well doing. Fultz got to the line i will note he got oh yeah, yeah he, did, he did on, on saturday yeah not not today um sorry with the fact that they played each other twice in a row yeah. I, I i get confused and the Wiz aren't forcing any turnovers. So after it looked like they might be like semi-decent defensively after that Philly game when Philly couldn't hit a three-pointer, that now uh, looking well, like it's reverting back to about more like what we expected for them. Well, well, one thing that didn't help Washington's defense was Thomas Bryant doing a tip dunk on his own basket. <laughs> Which was I, I? It was it was one of those great moments because I happened to not be watching on Saturday, and Fred Katz went completely insane. And Fred doesn't usually do that in that respect, and so I'm like, oh god, I really have to see this. And it wasn't as egregious as I thought it was going to be, but yeah, it was a tip dunk on the basket he was trying to defend, which was pretty amazing. And so they gave him. It was uh, I, I think that's like it's it's an issue in hockey too of like, well, who do you give the goal to if nobody actually scored it? So Fournier was closest, so I think he got the credit for yes, it. Yes, yes, that. That is the the rule indeed. Um, with Russell Westbrook out, the Wiz went to Justin or Justin Robinson. No, not Justin Robinson. That's Jerome. Uh, that's that's uh, Fred Cass's previous crush uh, last year. This is Jerome Robinson. But yeah, negative sixteen in seven minutes for him. And well, but but the thing that did work out was Hollow Neto in the starting lineup. Neto went crazy early, hit three baskets in the very beginning of the game. Ended up tw- with twenty two points, ten to seventeen from the field. Most of his damage coming from two, where he was eight of nine. <laughs> And Beal had Beal had a productive game from two, but then missed all seven of his three pointers, which was a part of why the Wizards went a grisly eight of thirty-two from long distance. 
Yeah, and I still think that Scott Brooks is going to have to work things out with his rotations. Davis Bertans playing 20 minutes. You'd think they'd like him to play more. I'm not sure whether it's still a conditioning issue for him. He did at least play in the back-to-back though. And Troy Brown, another guy who you know you would think you'd like him to play a little bit more than he is. Isaac Bonga has had a pretty nice start to the season shooting from three. Avdi has come back to earth a, a little bit, and it, I think he got the Keith Bogans in, in Saturday's game. But there's just a lot that, of guys. I will here. note that he shouldn't get the Keith Bogans, even yes. if even if that it doesn't happen to be working on that day. Avdia is important enough, and I think he's competent defensively. Like that's it's something that the Wizards so desperately need. And Troy Brown, if memory serves, I think I saw him hit both of his threes in that at kind of the end of the at the end of the first quarter. And then he he ended up, I mean, to his credit, making most of his other shots. But I still like I, there. I see a bunch of issues with the Wizards. One part being that they're I still don't think the roster makes sense. Another part being that I don't think Scott Brooks is a good coach. But so I, I don't really know how to square this. Like I went under on them. I continue to believe that that's going to happen. And they have they have disaster potential too. And when you think about the opportunity cost, which we've harped on for multiple years now of basically what are you keeping Bradley Beal for? And if this season goes south, then it looks even worse for Tommy Shepard and Ted Leonsis. Yeah, also they are still doing this Actually, they didn't do it in the second half on Saturday, but in the first half, they did the Ish Smith, Howell Neto, Russell Westbrook altogether lineup again. It didn't go incredibly well either. So hopefully that is now uh, something that can be consigned to the dustbin of history. But, you know, did they, was it a good idea to even do it for two games? I don't really understand what the point of that was. And for the Magic, just checking in on on their rookies quickly. Chumo Kiki's been playing about 15 minutes a game, hasn't really scored or, or done much offensively and Cole Anthony has been below 50% from the field but playing reasonably well he had 12 points on Sunday where are we going next here let's talk Rockets Blazers oh yeah the only game the only game the Houston Rockets have played this year and the only game the Blazers want to talk about that they played this year <laughs> Yeah, so I mean, we got to start with Christian Wood, and obviously James Harden was great with 44 and 17, but you know he kind of looked like himself out there, a little heavier. But uh, you know, a team like the Blazers is going to struggle to stop him. And but Wood, to me, what was most revelatory about his performance is what he's able to do as a face-up scorer. They actually staggered him from Harden because I mean, do, do you want to just give the list of players who were even available in this game, Danny, for the Rockets? Yeah, and so remember, this game went to overtime, and they had a whopping nine players available. P.J. Tucker, Christian Wood, Daniel House, Harden, and David Nwaba started. Bruno Caboclo only played four minutes off the bench, and then rookie Jay Sean Tate played 37, Sterling Brown played, and then Broderick Thomas played 10 minutes as well. And I believe that is everyone who was available. Yeah, and so what they did was they staggered Christian Wood and Harden just so they could have some kind of creation when Harden was out of the game, and they just threw the ball to Christian Wood and let him go to work, and he was being guarded by a center. We'll see if it that changes and they try to go with smaller guys, but even when they did that, they put Derek Jones on him, and Wood did like the Giannis like drive into the guy, knock him backwards, and then Euro step into a dunk on Derek Jones Jr. He had the three ball working. Oh, actually, no, he didn't. He didn't uh, make a three. I was looking at the free throw column. Uh, but he had 31 points, 14 of 22, facing up from the mid-range. He hit a step back early, which was close to a three. That's what I was thinking Yeah, it was of. a deep two. And also was able to eat on the pick and roll with Harden. Got a couple of tips on the offensive glass. But really, like just the face up, the jump shot, just blowing 
by Yusuf Nurkic on the baseline for a dunk I mean what did he have like probably six or seven dunks in this game and you know I, I wasn't able to lock on the, lock in on this one quite enough to say how his defense was he had a couple of nice possessions switching uh, but that that'll obviously be a big question for the Rockets and then Jason Tate I thought he looked really good too you mentioned he played 37 minutes and one of my questions about him from Australia was can he move his feet well enough to stay in front of guys and I thought he actually did pretty well in those type of situations for Houston uh they play again tonight or I guess I should say tomorrow night Monday against Denver and I don't know anything else on them other than uh James Harden you know, 44 points on 22 shots and uh 6 and 14 to 16 three. from the line 17 assists yeah pretty uh, standard I, I think, really I, I think for me this game even though the Rockets did lose was another reminder of why I thought they I thought they were going to go over their over under total just because even if James Harden is not fully motivated and a little bit even if he's a little bit corpulent he's still an offensive dynamo and like that I don't think Harden can be any less than that to be completely honest and their defense yeah I mean there were there were times where it looked better and there were times when it looked worse it I mean we'll talk a little bit about how Portland's guards played in this game but I you know I, I think the Rockets are fine it, it is a concern that they're going to be missing a lot of these good players at minimum until Wednesday because the forced quarantine period runs through their game on Monday and but I, I'm 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 optimistic about the Rockets yeah and going to the Blazers now who did win this game 128 126 clearly the strategy from the Rockets which is one that I'm not that much in agreement on was we're just going to make Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum the only guys who shoot and you know for example Covington played 38 minutes only took four threes Derek Jones Jr. didn't take any part of that might have been because he's not really looking to take them in his 36 minutes but uh you know they needed Jones Jr. and Covington out there to try and guard Harden to not a ton of success but you know the Blazers playing a conventional pick and roll defense I mean that's you know James Harden's going to eat that up that's just the the nature of things um but Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum 58 field goal attempts combined they made 28 of those 29 three-point attempts combined between the two of them making 14 of those and of course a, a combined 76 points in all for that dynamic duo well not only 70 not only 76 points but they also had 17 of the Blazers 27 assists yeah that was pretty ridiculous and the Blazers I mean they shot 42 percent from three but 14 of their 19 makes were by Lillard and McCall concerning to me though that Gary Trent Jr. only played six minutes and Rodney Hood played 16 I really I don't quite understand that well and Carmelo Anthony played 20 and Anthony Simons played 10 I mean so yeah this is a a problem obviously you can talk more about it's just the uh we talked about this in the jazz game the Blazers bench struggles right and they they did do better a little bit in the second half but they're you know the the mellow canter minutes were an absolute disaster in game one and they were not much better in the first half of game two because it gives it gives opponents an easy place to attack and those guys can have moments where they're dominant offensively but it's not really that type of you know overwhelming pressure and force that we've seen and it'll be it'll be a different dynamic for portland on monday because carmelo anthony did not make the trip to la because of health and safety protocols we'll have to see exactly what the duration is there but I started thinking during the during the Rockets game, and yes, the Blazers did win it. About how like I'm maybe because I was a little higher on the Blazers, I'm starting to get con- really concerned about them because you can talk about how like the Rockets' defensive scheme played into their hands, but the Blazers' defense to me, you know, you talked about the, the structural problems. Then also they looked terrible in the loss against Jazz. So it's not like the sky is falling. It's too early for that. But I mean, it t- CJ in this game. 
four of five for mid-range, nine of 16 from three. So if you want to put those together, 13 of 21 on, on jump shots, did a lot of damage there. Lillard will shoot better than he did in this game, which is kind of crazy when you think about the 76 points that they combined for. And, and you know, Nurkic had definitely had his moments. Like, I think the starting the starting five looked more like a coaching unit when you consider the way that the Rockets can make teams look at times, though this was not the Rockets' Rockets. But, I mean, the, the bench problems are still there. And, yeah, I don't know. Like, I, I had this optimism that's like, oh, they're going to have a really good offense, and as long as the defense gets up to passable, and it certainly still could, but... I'm less confident in that now than I was a week ago. The end of this game also deserves a mention. It was completely insane. Yeah. Harden ties it at 123 with a step back three. Lillard gives the Blazers a two-point lead. Harden hits another step back three at 15 seconds left. This is all happening with under 40 seconds remaining to give the Rockets a one-point lead. And then CJ McCollum hits another really difficult three-pointer. This one was a a catch-and-shoot with 6.9 remaining to put the Blazers up two. And then James Harden threw it away. Robert Covington finally got a a stop on him uh, at the end. So that was... uh, that ended the game for the Blazers and uh, they needed that one because I mean I really think their defense did not do a good enough job of loading up against the primary scorers for the Rockets given some of the shooting limitations and uh, the unavailabilities that the Rockets had but I mean this is certainly a data point of against a lot of teams James Harden is just an offense all by himself and then you throw in Christian Wood as well and uh, looking pretty good. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest but let me play devil's advocate here let's see so no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Um, all right, what else we got here? We could talk about Minnesota. Unfortunately, this is not as good news on Sunday as it would have been if we had recorded a little bit previously because Minnesota started out 2-0, but then the news on Sunday that Carl Anthony Towns in their game against Utah suffered a dislocated left wrist, and the, the phrasing is that he will be reevaluated weekly. I don't know exactly what that what that means, what the, the kind of the term of art that, that Woj used in that tweet, but the Wolves are going to have significant trouble without Carl Anthony Towns, and even though Anthony Davis didn't play, they got absolutely run by the Lakers on on Sunday night. And I guess the, the terminology there that concerned me is like saying, so there was Woj's, the, the full, the piece that came out at ESPN said that they think it's a short-term absence, but a short-term absence that he will be evaluated weekly doesn't sound good to me personally. That's maybe that's just my interpretation. Yeah, I think it's all relative because those wrist surgeries, like if you have to have wrist surgery, that's like, you know, that's going to be months, you know, that's like a really delicate kind of surgery that you have to come back from. So, uh, Towns injured it against Utah trying to drive right-handed from the left side of the floor against Rudy Gobert. I think he had a dunk on his mind, ended up having to go for a hook shot, and Gobert kind of bumped him off his path. No foul was called. He goes down and uh, hurt that left wrist. Nevertheless, I think we could try to be positive on the Wolves to the fact that they're 2-1, and one, and yeah, you know, D'Angelo Russell and the rest of the team, Russell had a nightmare game against the Lakers, even without AD and really with LeBron not doing that much either. This is that's kind of the formula for the Lakers that why I was high in them in the regular season this year is that they can just kind of let some of these other guys uh, carry them in games like this. And the Wolves are on a back-to-back coming from Utah. It's a long flight and with the Towns news kind of set up for uh, not being in the best spot. But Towns, not only is he their most... Did I say I was going to be positive? I'll get to that. Don't worry. Uh, Not only is he their most 
important player because he's their best player but he also center is the position they probably have the weakest backup set so now they're starting Nas Reed they put Reed in the rotation behind Ed Davis that experiment with him as the primary backup center didn't last long but now Ed Davis has to get back into the rotation again and I never quite understood why they traded for Davis except maybe that he was someone that they thought could contribute and they could also get get off of the salaries of Amari Spellman and Jacob Evans but Davis I don't know if he's going to be able to contribute and so yeah, it's going to be I think it's going to be tough for these guys to score now without Carl Anthony Towns however on they did have a really nice rousing win against Utah to get to 2-0 and and Anthony Edwards was a big part of that yeah, Anthony Edwards, 18 points on 8 of 12 from the field. Most of that from two-point range, but also two of three from three. Had a couple of steals, had an assist as well. And yeah, I mean, he he showed a little bit more. I mean, the, the defensive effort, uh, defensive performance at Georgia was inconsistent, and he's had some of that. But he also threw, threw some pretty good passes in this one. Yeah, he's actually a solid transition passer, uh, maybe less so in the half court. What I was most impressed by with him was just it seemed like he was able to slow down a little bit and he's a big strong guy and just to trust the size of his body to get to spots and not be too sped up at least in his own offensive game you know it's not like they're double teaming him or anything but he had a physical advantage against Utah's guards again that's going back to the playoffs last year they just don't have a lot of physicality on the perimeter and so they ran a nice play for him where he was one of the two screeners on a staggered screen and he slipped that got the small guard who was guarding the point guard on him Mike Conley got a Rubio through him a nice post entry and then he was able to get to a nice little one-legged fadeaway he's has a very powerful body getting to the rim he missed some speculative attempts but also made a, a couple of those as well and hit a couple of threes so it was an encouraging performance for him he was 5 of 12 in the opener looked okay and then hey he was 6 to 21 tonight against the Lakers so uh yeah I mean let's uh just uh, all of you fan bases please just calm down on what's happened during the first two games right like did RJ Barrett he was 11 of 15 a bunch of Nick fans are talking shit to me like all right he went two for 15 the next game like how about you wait for like two weeks before before you start declaring victory on my takes on a, on a guy being wrong like if you get enough of a sample size don't worry we'll like we'll get there and acknowledge the change reality if in yeah. fact there's enough reason a- ask Suns fans if you, if you need to ask a fan base like when 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 we see when we see things change we talk about it we acknowledge it that, because that, and that's part of the fun of the game is that these guys improve yeah now i mean you know you can certainly be wrong about whether a guy can improve or not i mean you're nobody gets that right 100 percent of the time or probably even like 60 percent of the time frankly but eh, except with andrew wiggins but <laughs> yeah so i mean it's been you know i'm getting a, a lot of commentary a lot of conversations that i've been having of like oh man you know james wiseman obviously should have been the first pick well he absolutely laid an egg today against chicago and he's been absolutely atrocious defensively we talked about that on uh well on Christmas the, way, and, the way i think about this just to give an analogy yeah. to a different sport it's the same reason that i don't think they should do like ranking polls in the college sports in the first like month of the season because all it does is it it sets these priors which aren't particularly useful just just see where things go there's there's not going to be any all rookie team voting or any any ultimatums that come in this first month of the season appreciate it for what it is and there will be players who dramatically exceed our expectations. That's fantastic. There will be players who dramatically underperform their expectations. That sucks. Hopefully they get better. And, you know, some of them will. I mean, we we talked about DeAndre Hunter playing better. Jarrett Culver has looked better during so far during this, this stretch of his second year. And Miles Bridges has looked better. So, yeah, you just kind of have to see how things play out. Let's talk about Utah now. And 
they had a real struggle in this game didn't shoot it well from three and the way their team is built they're going to struggle when they don't shoot it very well from three at this point now the good news is they have a lot of three-point shooters who are excellent and that's not going to happen to them too often but minnesota really controlled this game ended up utah being 10 out of 34 they probably would hope to get a few more threes against this minnesota defense uh and the wolves shot 45 percent from three in this game and you know guys like culver and edwards combining to be five for five or five of six from three you know yeah you're not expecting that necessarily uh you know it was one of those times where rudy gobert got into foul trouble and carl anthony towns was able to have basically his only effective time of the game when gobert was on the bench this gobert only played 29 minutes he was plus seven and Derek Favors was negative six and they ended up losing by five because Juwan Morgan played one minute and was negative six <laughs> somehow I guess they tried playing him at center maybe just to get a look at him at with uh against Minnesota spreading the floor and see if he could be better but that didn't didn't really work out too well and that's a, that is a tough line one minute no statistics at all at negative six <laughs> for Morgan um Jordan Clarkson had one of those games where he starts off really awesome and gets everyone going on Twitter and then he ends up with you know shooting under 50 percent from the field it still had a good game donovan mitchell is really struggling to start the year he was six of 23 and two of nine on threes has not up until the very end when he hit a couple of threes to get utah within a possession after which and they actually had a chance to tie after some missed free throws and then got a five second violation you say they never called in that time but they actually did and it's it's funny too because the announcers aren't like right there and so it took them a second to realize like what it was uh, that it was a five second violation so uh you know this isn't the end of the world from utah they had that great start against portland well another thing that was concerning i mean granted not a huge deal bogdanovich three three of 16 from the field two of 11 on twos and i think four of them were in the restricted area and just yeah he just just, he just biffed some layups it was pretty ugly like those they were like totally fine looks yeah so I, i don't i don't read too much into that the jazz play again against the thunder on monday they should be able to get right then and then on chris on sorry on new year's eve they play the suns i'm actually pretty excited for that game yeah they also the favors joe ingles pick and roll which has been much ballyhooed really didn't get going very much against the wolves and yeah i mean i think it's just the biggest weakness of this team is if donovan mitchell doesn't play well they're still they're going to struggle at times and then the other big weakness is just their lack of size and athleticism on the perimeter defensively and uh you know minnesota exploited that in a few ways oh man i have no idea where we are how many teams we have left uh let's just talk about another game slash team oh i i actually have a pretty good idea of where we are and let's let's go to the we could talk about the san antonio spurs in the context of of the two games that they played on the weekend they fell to the new orleans pelicans which pushed them to two and one but i did think that overall the spurs did a good job defending zion williamson originally it was just basically keldon johnson defending him one-on-one but then in other matchups when Jakob Pertl came in because remember Pertl comes off the bench for the Spurs they were sending an extra body and I, I thought that they did a good job they contested now Zion did grab rebounds on some of his own misses but I thought they did a good job there and you know the, considering the Spurs are missing Derek White who I fully believe is going to be their best player when he gets available I thought that they and they you know this game they I don't I didn't think they played particularly well offensively you know they had more turnovers than you would like and a bunch of other stuff but they still were in it and I think that's that should feel good but the reason they should feel much better is because they started the season 2-0 including that win over the reps 
Yeah, and the formula that's really been working well for the Spurs has been LaMarcus Aldridge spacing it out. And then you have a lot of these powerful drivers who are starting. They're starting Keldon Johnson. I was all worried that they're going to start Trey Lyles, but thankfully Johnson is back to start the season. Lyles only played, basically he's been playing five minutes the last couple of games. And that was the case in the Toronto game as well. And whether it's Lonnie Walker, Keldon Johnson, DeMar DeRozan, DeJounte Murray, all those guys really are able to take advantage of the space that Aldridge is providing by spacing out a little bit more. And then the other thing that was really fantastic is DeMar DeRozan going three of four from three. Now he did go 0 for four in this Pels game. So let's see whether he keeps it up, but against his old team to be able to hit three or four threes, including probably the most critical three-pointer of the game off a, a double team on LaMarcus Aldridge uh, that I think gave them the lead. Actually, the Raptors led 114-110 with about two minutes left, and then they would never score again. The Spurs scored the last nine points of the game, including that critical DeRozan three. They were able to get a double team with LaMarcus Aldridge because the Raptors were closing it with Chris Boucher and LaMarcus Aldridge, whatever you think of him, he's going to eat in the post against Chris Boucher. So they had to double off of DeRozan and DeRozan actually made them pay. Um, any other kind of Spurs observations? I know you watched that New Orleans game, which I didn't get a chance to watch, but... Uh I still, I mean, the, the the weird dynamic that's just true of the Spurs bench consistently outplaying them. And actually, I thought that led to a real problem late in the Pelicans game because Patty Mills, I thought, had done a really nice job kind of setting guys up, creating offense. And then the Spurs went away from him in the closing five. And so it just became a bunch of like drives into contested shots. And so the the the, the ecosystem wasn't as hospitable for, for the Spurs. They weren't getting good shots late. And I think that's a big part of why the Pelicans were able to win full credit to the Pels for playing some pretty solid defense but I think the Spurs made life easy on them overall yeah I'm really interested to watch this Pels defense and see whether they can be a an adequate unit this year and yeah I mean you mentioned Mills in that game against Toronto he was just absolutely incandescent with 21 points five of six from three coming off of screens he also has really mastered that pump fake take a dribble or two to get the guy off balance and shoot it when he has a slight initial advantage off the screen but not enough of one to actually get the shot off he can use fakes to get that off and the Spurs took a lot of threes in that game shot 41 percent but it's not like the Raptors were terrible either at 37 percent in that one Keldon Johnson was five out of 15 and only took two three-point attempts his drives are very powerful and he looks like even stronger and more cut up and athletic than he did last year but he's kind of reached the like headlong drive that's really my only play you know he hasn't really found a way to get his teammates involved off of those drives he's running into guys at the rim forcing up shots the Raptors do a really nice job of protecting the rim and try to force you to kick out for threes and he didn't quite get that memo uh, on some of these but you mentioned he was pretty good defensively against Zion I thought he did a nice job on Pascal Siakam as well and Devin Vassell continues to look decent in his minutes he made his only three-pointer he was plus 14 in 12 minutes Rudy Gay I think to me might be the guy that they would want to de-emphasize a little bit once White comes back and maybe just move DeRozan to the four at that point as they did more in the bubble although Gay played plenty too as a small ball center there let's turn to the Toronto Raptors now who are 0-2 I don't this is I only 
saw this game i didn't see the pels game but i didn't see like any reason to panic on these guys yet i mean they looked like pretty much the same team that they've been and you know it just didn't go their way against san antonio in this one so maybe they i mean the two things that you look at as being like big problems for them one is the half court offense and then number two is their defensive rebounding they got smacked at the end of this game and that was a big in the last two minutes of the game they gave a bunch of offensive rebounds that that led to buckets like that was one of those led to the derozan three that i mentioned earlier and they gave up close to 30 percent offensive rebound and particularly struggled late and then the half court offense you know Kyle Lowry continues to be awesome like he still looks like the same guy but when he's not drawing the BS fouls and they only shot 15 free throws in this game it gets a little bit more difficult for them uh Chris Boucher was nasty in this game though yeah Boucher 22 points on 14 shooting possessions 9 to 13 from the field including 3 4 from 3 also made that a double double with 10 rebounds and 7 blocks yeah Uh, it was interesting with the blocks like he he got a lot of those on ball and even with guys trying to go into his body and he looks to have gotten a little bit stronger yeah you can knock him backwards but his arms are just so long and his timing is so good that he was able to get those blocks and he closed the game uh again he's not a great defensive rebounder so that was kind of a problem um and, and he closed it obviously instead of Aaron Baines and then Siakam started off really well but he finished it out six out of 16 in 43 minutes in this game again it's just uh well, some of, of that might have been because the the Raptors have this very slow early start to the season. They play Wednesday, Saturday, Tuesday. So might as well run your guys pretty hard if, you, if you're not going to play for another couple days. But that game that they have is a big one because the next one is against the Philadelphia 76ers on Tuesday. And the other reason that, that I would have some concern about the Raptors, and I think they're going to be fine. You know, I don't know if they're going to be, you know, winning high 50s type of pace like they were last year. But uh, Norm Powell looks awful. I mentioned this in the preseason that he looked heavy. Now, he, now he's wearing like the dreaded t-shirt. I'm not sure whether it's a shoulder issue or just because he's a little heavy. But uh, he was 0 for 5 in this one, only played 18 minutes. And he's they haven't really been able to break out that lineup with Siakam at center to close games because he just hasn't really been worry, worthy of it he was two for 11 i think in the first game so really rough start for him uh defensively he didn't look great and matt thomas they wanted him to be a part of their rotation this year and he's a good shooter but he's made some just like really mundane mistakes defensively just like communication like he's supposed to be like a smart vet like not the kind of mistakes that you can afford to make when you have the athleticism deficit that he's already operating at and so yeah, I mean, the, you look at this bench, if Norm Powell isn't going to give you anything, Chris Boucher, DeAndre Bembry, and Matt Thomas coming off your bench. Terrence Davis did not play at all, coach's decision. Uh, Malachi Flynn couldn't get off the bench either. I think they should try to give him a little bit, bit more run, and maybe, again, they will once the schedule picks up. But yeah, they're, uh, they got to get something out of Norm Powell. Uh, unless you have, do you have unless you have anything more on the Raptors, we can, we're ready to close this out. We only have one more set of teams. So be it. And that is the teams that played another one of these back to back to back home or not home and homes. They were both in Sacramento. The Kings and the Suns game one was won by the Sacramento Kings in what was a more fun affair when the Kings moved to 2-0 and then Phoenix won the second game for a split decision, 116-100. That was a much more comfortable win for them. And I watched more, mostly just due to what else was on, of the 
of the first game, the one that Sacramento won. Yeah, that, and, that looked like it was a barn burner with uh, the 25% three-point shooting of the Suns actually being the superior performance <laughs> in the game. Yeah, because Sacramento was 5 of 23 on the game, including their bench not hitting a single three. Halliburton, Joseph, and Robinson combined for zero for six. Um, but it was close, and, and that was interesting. And so something that I, I found interesting was Chris Paul didn't come back into the game until the three-minute mark of the fourth quarter. And before that, De'Aaron Fox was pretty regularly beating Cameron Payne. And then as soon as Chris Paul checked in, Fox got more tentative. Now, that was also Phoenix having their having their best players on the floor, and certainly that's a factor as well. Started settling for jump shots, did it against Paul, also did it on yeah. a switch for Crowder. And I think he can beat Chris Paul. Like, Chris Paul isn't that quick anymore. Like, you, you get him out on the floor, he can be beaten. He's more about kind of the strength of the short area quickness and the anticipation than actually sliding his feet on the perimeter to stay in front of guys. Yeah, and then at times on Saturday's game, I lamented, I thought Cam Johnson was sometimes trying to do a little bit too much with the ball in his hand. Still a wonderful shooter. Did get to the line a couple times. But then I thought it looked a lot better when he, on Sunday. On Sunday, he was, Johnson was more assertive. And and so, it, you know, that is the, the ebb and flow of this that happens. And so Johnson having a rough Saturday, having a better Sunday, that's the way it can work out. Um, and so, it'll, but the, I, I sometimes use the phrase, the ecosystem, like figuring all this stuff out for Phoenix is going to be a problem. It's a good problem for the most part for money Williams, but it is a challenge. And I was thinking about this in terms of their closing five. So CP, Booker, Aiton seem pretty locked in as long as they're available. But then probably going to choose two of Mikhail Bridges, Cam Johnson, and, and Jay Crowder. And so on Saturday, it was Crowder and I think it was Crowder and Johnson. I'm trying to remember entirely. It would change at a couple points. Um, but, you know, the guy who's left out is going to feel a little bit frustrated in that. And I'm sure they all believe that they're, I mean, Crowder's was a, key player on an NBA Finals team last year. Bridges has been excellent defensively, and Johnson is probably the future at one of the forward spots. So we'll, we'll keep an eye on, on, on all of that. Um, and then what was fascinating to me was arguably the most important play of Saturday's game was a defensive read and steal by Buddy Heald. So it, exactly the type of play that I want to see teams get more aggressive. And you could you, you brought up the Raptors and the Pacers about this earlier, and just in terms of aggressiveness defensively, is single read passes where the guy who's making the pass has already has already given up his dribble. So that's really what happened here is that Heald was guarding Devin Booker and, De- and DeAndre Ayton picked up his dribble. And so he's basically just like waiting to pass Devin Booker the ball. If you're defending him, you're, ba- I mean, yeah, you could take a gamble and potentially if you don't get the ball, then something happens. But Heald was able to understand exactly what was going on, tipped it away and then got a pick six. And when you consider that that game ended in a, th- a three point margin for Sacramento in those last couple minutes, have gone really differently. That was important. Halberton and Bagley played late on Saturday, but were not in the closing five. The closing five for Luke Walton was Fox, Joseph Heald, Barnes, and Holmes. Um, and so it was also interesting that I, I mentioned that Fox had trouble as soon as Chris Paul got back in the game. So then the other big bucket late for Sacramento was also Buddy Heald. And Heald, he was he gets the ball off a screen, drives past Mikael Bridges, which was surprising. He missed the finish, but when you draw the when you draw the big man in when you on that drive, that opened up the offensive rebound lane. Rashawn Holmes gets the offensive board and then free throws. He doesn't make the putback. And then after a weird dagger offensive rebound that bounced off Mikael Bridges, the Kings got the win, but then the Suns got the win back the next day. The only thing that I can add is Saturday's game, Damian Jones, 15 minutes, negative 10. As 
as the backup center very interesting that Jalen Smith only played four minutes now worth noting that he sprained his ankle and so he didn't play in today's game at least that's what he was listed as uh Dario Saric is still out he hasn't played yet this season with this sore right quad and so there's hope that he was going to be the backup center but rather than going with Jones they go with Frank Kaminsky who revenge game he was cut by the Kings at the start of the season and claimed on waivers by the Suns to bring him back of course remember he signed for the room exception last year and had a team option which the Suns declined and then he signed with the Kings was non-guaranteed got cut and then he puts up 11 points on 5 of 10 and plus 17 off Phoenix bench as the primary backup center in this one and that was uh, one of the big differences to have uh, had a very positive bench performance uh, Payne and Cam Johnson were plus 26 and plus 25 respectively Johnson on Sunday was ridiculous with 21 points and did it on only 11 shooting possessions our abject apologies here we did not get to watch the knicks or sixers sorry we're gonna have to settle for only 18 teams here um we watched a lot of basketball over the last two days trying to get that up to you but uh worry not we will get to the knicks and the sixers soon knicks had a very weird start to the season with getting completely destroyed by the sixers and the pacers and then just absolutely housing the bucks today so uh i'll be interested to dig in a little bit more on this weird knicks scene but tom Thibodeau gets his first win there and the sixers obviously also got completely destroyed without Joel Embiid 118-94 against the powerhouse 3-0 Cavaliers let's end it on that Danny and don't forget tune in tomorrow 7:30 Eastern 4:30 Pacific NBA League Pass it's free Detroit and Atlanta talk to you all then Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest but let me play devil's advocate here let's see so no that's a good thing uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil.